Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the general topic podcast that takes a topic each week and as the name suggests, Cast Views. This week, I've got Leo Allen with me again. I've really been looking forward to seeing you again. Hi, Leo. Hello, Dan. Thanks for having me back. I've been looking forward to this. No, no, all good, all good. No, it's my pleasure. So I, well, actually, we'll get onto the topic in a, in a bit. But yeah, I think it was a, a month or a couple of months ago had you on. How have you been? How's life treating you? Been great. I think since then, yeah, I went started working for a different agency uh, as an information technology director. and. Quite a few other life changes that I guess we'll touch on here in a bit. <laughs> Some pr- pretty big news things that a thing in particular that happened, and uh, you know, just staying busy. Good, good. We will tell you what. Let's hear from some friends because, as as Leo said, I've I got him on specifically for this subject, and I think it mixes a little bit of personal view and also kind of what you know. For I've, I've tend to have got you on well. One, the casting hot takes was a totally random episode. I've got you on and I absolutely love that. So maybe we should do another one in, in, in a couple oh, of months. Oh, yeah. And invite a couple of other pods on. Yeah. Because you're kind of more known. You, you've done a lot around the tech world and, and it kind of mixes in a little bit about that. So tell you what, let's hear from some friends and then we'll get stuck into it. Do you love comics, movies, video games and more? We do too. Join me, Josh Scar, and my cast of colorful co-hosts on Talking Smack. Look for our yellow and red icon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcast players. Right, so we're going to speak about the world of medicine. And I've said on this, this pod a couple of times that some of the big advances that have happened and some that are coming up, or I think coming up, are going to be in the world, in the medical world. So when I approached you about this, there was a specific reason, which, you know, happy when I hand over to you, if we want to go straight into that. We looked at talking about, and, and you helped me really frame it well, where we've been, where we are, and Cast and I, and yeah, we'll keep this for prosperity for like 10 years, and we'll see if any anything we talk about actually comes true. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, where, where we've been, where we're at, and where we're going to in the world of medicine and medical procedures. So what, what's your view? Where, where, do you, where do you want to start on this? Well, we can start. Uh, I can share what had happened. Um, like people like to say, what had happened was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I had shared before, and actually we did a podcast party one time about this as well to raise uh, funds for the National Kidney Foundation. Uh, and that was a pretty good time. I had a bunch of different podcasts on. But long story short, uh, I have a daughter. She's 20 years old now. She was in chronic kidney failure and got to the point as of last year, it was, you know, okay, because they can maintain kidney failure for so long with medications. But the thing with kidneys is they don't get better. So once you're in failure, it's they're going to eventually fail. There is no, oh, suddenly your kidneys got better. So they they monitor certain levels of things, uh, creatine and things like that. And once they reach a certain level, they say, okay, now you have to get on the donor list. So she got on the donor list and it was, you know, that that same conversation, hey, it can happen quickly or it can take a while. It can be a few years out. So there's going to be dialysis involved. So she got on dialysis and I learned a thing there that they do home dialysis. I used to always, yeah, I only knew kidney dialysis from people would have to, you know, you have to make these appointments and go to the hospital. Well, actually there's this small dialysis machine and they give you all the Mm -hmm. solution and the tubes and blah, blah, blah. And they put a, a, a special catheter inside of you and yada, yada. And you just do dialysis at home and she had to do it every night. And, you know, this was dialysis. Again, that's just a stopgap measure until you get a donor. So, of course, all of my family and a few friends, everyone filled out the, um, you know, the donor. You know, people stepped up saying, hey, I could be a donor. They did the swab and you send everything in. And I have a sister-in-law who ended up being a match. And she said, yes, of course, I'll do it. So long story short, my daughter only waited six months to get a kidney transplant. So in February of this year, she got a new kidney. 
and it's amazing the turnaround how her health has it turned around literally within a week it's really amazing to me how important the kidneys are for where they are and the size that they are they're like those organs that i think you don't think about until you have to think about them yeah absolutely absolutely and I mean, you said she didn't have to wait long, six months, but I bet it probably did it not feel like an eternity. It, well, it certainly did for her. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But it was amazing. Um, so I was talking about the kidney function levels. Um, you know, once you hit 14%, that's considered critical failure. She went well below 14%. Wow. So when she got her kidney, and she only got one of them because, you know, when you donate a kidney, you donate one. Because... Another thing I found out is technically we only need one kidney. So we have two as a backup. It's like God thought of everything. So <laughs> just in case. you got another one just in case. And another thing I learned too, this was crazy to me, is when you are receiving a kidney, as they don't take out one of the old ones. They just find a spot on your body to put a new one. Really? Yeah, so hers is kind of in front and kind of under her belly. Yeah, I didn't know that. And even crazier, the consultant that we worked with said, oh, yeah, we just find a spot. He said, there's people walking around with about five kidneys. Wow. Because what happens is living donor kidneys are the best. Um, You can, the, um, what do they call that? I'll just say the expectancy of it is you should get 20 years from a living donor kidney. Now, if you get a donor from someone who's deceased, you get about maybe 10, 10, maybe 15 years. So a lot of times people get deceased donors. So the turnaround is they got to get another one. And he said, yeah, there's uh there's people walking around with like five kidneys. Wow. So, Cause they just keep adding them. Yeah. And they just find another spot on your body to put another one. <laughs> Wow, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, and, and firstly, obviously, thank you for sharing. And at 20, I mean, well, you know, your daughter, I mean, I'm glad to hear you said she's absolutely fine now. Perfect. Like, it was like night and day. Um, with kidney failure, there's a lot of fatigue. So she pretty, you have zero, uh, pretty much zero energy. I mean, she could barely, it got to the point where she could barely get out of bed. Do one or two things, and then she'd have to go lay back down. Um, it, it uh, Nausea comes with it as well, so she could barely eat, but she got the transplant. It was like a light switch. Yeah, the yeah. very same day, once the surgery was complete, she's eating. She starts eating more. And then it was it was really fun watching her kidney function go up and up and they would come in and they test and they'd say, okay, she's at 60% now. And then she'd be at 80. And then by the time she discharged and it was what, four or five days before she left the hospital, she was at 98% function. It's like a brand new woman. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And yes, like I said, that's fair play to her because I mean, at that age, it's, you know, so tough. And, and like I said, having to do the dialysis, like I said, that isn't something I thought you'd be able to do at home. Now, there is one downside to that, which I'm still kind of upset about. So they they deliver you all the solution and supplies, and they deliver them to you in bulk. And these are boxes and boxes of this dialysis solution and whatnot. And it's a monthly delivery. However, once you're done with dialysis, they just tell you to throw any extras you have away. Oh, really? In my basement right now, I have boxes and boxes of the solution. And it's like, I don't feel right throwing it away. And we keep trying to find someone to take it. Um, But they even told us, you're going to be hard pressed to get rid of it that way because it's considered a prescription. Yeah. And you know, you can't, just like any other prescription medication, you can't just give it away. But we're trying. We're like, can we get it to like Ukraine or somewhere? You know, someone needs this and I just don't want to just throw it away. That just seems so wasteful. And yeah. 
and probably the cost of it as well anyway so is that like, like I said oh, you said because it's a, considered a prescription and, and I was wondering is it also because it's come out of their process so it's not it's left their ownership so they can't know how it's been stored etc oh I'm sure that's yeah there's a lot to that too and you know how do they trust me like Hey, this guy just showed up with all these boxes. Did he do something with them? But you can't really tamper with them. I mean, because if you poke a hole in it, it's over. This is all liquid yeah, solution. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they're yeah, yeah, huge yeah. bags. So it's like, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I just want to, I want to give it to someone who needs it. I don't want to just throw it away. And not to mention the environmental impact. And did you say it was uh, her aunt that was the donor and all okay there? Yes. And oddly enough, there is the donor tends to suffer more pain afterwards because, you know, your kidneys are in your lower back and getting to them is pretty tough. And that's another right. reason why they don't give recipients, they don't take out the old one to put a new one in because the right. recovery time, I'm sure they probably tried that the first time they, <laughs> and it was probably a disaster and someone figured out, no, we don't need to do it that way. But oddly enough, uh, her aunt, she discharged the next day after the surgery, but she's, She's kind of a tough old broad. So she was like, no, I'm going home. <laughs> she was in well, pain, but she wanted to go home. <laughs> well, that's what I said. You know, we sprain an ankle or something and we, we want to take a couple of weeks off. And <laughs> right. people have gone through major surgery. Right. I just And I remember you telling sort of our group as well about it. And I just thought it was, it's, it's such an amazing thing. And, you know, we'll talk about transplants in general, but I've said before with a couple of other things, I know we're at the point where science has advanced and procedures have advanced and education and knowledge, but something like this where you're taking an organ from someone and putting it into someone else just still blows my mind. I just think it's amazing that we, we can do that. It is incredible. I, I, I think about that all the time. Like whoever thought, you know, people are just smart. <laughs> there are really smart people to come up with this stuff. I just... And it just blows me away. And it's really interesting when you hear the stories of some of these surgeons and how they get to where they are. Uh, for example, the, the kidney consult that we had, he was a surgeon and he was also a liver transplant recipient. And his story was he wasn't a surgeon and I forget what happened to his liver. And then he needed a transplant and he said he, he was one of the ones he was on a waiting list for a few years. So it was pretty tough for him. And when he finally got it and how his life turned around, he said, from then on, I was just fascinated with it all. So he ended up going to medical school and became a transplant surgeon. I was looking, trying to get like a timeline of things. What I could see anyway, the first transplant itself was a cornea transplant. And this was in 1905, which I, I kind of wanted a to find cornea? out a bit more about. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I'm, I'm amazed at that in that year. They went for the eyeball first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it was there, accessible. Oh, that always gives me the shivers thinking about yeah. surgery oh, on God, my yeah, eyes. You, no. You can't go anywhere near my eyes. Until, actually, I had to have this week, a couple of days ago, I had to have an eye check. And you know when they do the pressure test where they blow the yes. air into your eye? I mean, it takes them about 10 attempts just to do that. And that, they're, they're not even touching the eye. And they always say, don't blink. Like, are you serious right now? Yeah. I'm going to blink. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so get settled in. Yeah. The, the first successful kidney transplant I got was 1950, and that was in Chicago. Mm -hmm. First successful lung transplant was in 1963. And yeah, it was um, on kidneys, as we talk about that. I think in the UK, the first one was in 1960. And random, the year I've got 2009, 2010, but there were 2,694 kidney transplants performed. So this is 15 or 13 years ago. So it's just... You know, it is just amazing now, like we, you know, we're, we're talking about the cornea, but there isn't almost anything. We Skin grafts, I guess you can call a, a transplant of some, some sort, you know, to a lesser degree. So it's just, yeah, like, I, I still see, like I said, my, I'm still trying to comprehend that we are at a point where we are, you know, like, like cars, almost automobiles, we are replacing parts and to, to keep us going. And we're swapping, yeah, we're swapping them out with each other. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, transplants have had a very long history, actually, you know, when you look at it. So, so yeah, the, and, and sorry, just that the first skin 
transplantation, actually they called it autograph transplantation, I got was in 1869. So, And don't forget, skin counts because you do know the largest organ in the human body is the epidermis. Yeah, yeah, so. very true, very true, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 1869. And just to fill in the story of that, it was a person's nose that was destroyed by syphilis and they grafted flesh from oh the inner God. thigh to the nose. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, oh. that person's gone down in history for that, you know, the first skin transplant, but also because it was caused your, by syphilis. How does your nose get destroyed by syphilis? I don't know. I don't know. But... <laughs> that was one freaky weekend. <laughs> that, that person has gone down in history for two things now. They called him old syphilis Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Lost his nose. <laughs> Got a transplant. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So while we're on transplants, is there anything else, anything more from yourself in the area of transplant? Well, I do have a couple of things that I was going to bring up uh, history wise. I like to start from the beginning of stuff because once I get fascinated by something, I think a uh, little foundational history helps to, yeah, yeah. you know, just to understand. And I, I just started Certainly. doing a broad search of things. And the one thing I started with was blood transfusions for some reason, probably because I'm a bit macabre. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, when, when was the first time uh th this ever happened so it was in 1628 an wow. english physician <laughs> named william harvey discovers he discovers the circulation of blood and then shortly after the first uh known blood transfusion was attempted now it doesn't say whether or not it was successful but then in uh, 1665, the first recorded successful blood transfusion occurred in England. It was a uh, physician named Richard Lauer, but he did it to dogs. So this was more like an experiment. He was doing experimental blood transfusions. Yeah. And then we, you know, we just fast forward. So the first successful uh, human transfusion was in 1818. Uh, James Blundell, and he performed the first transfusion of human blood to treat postpartum hemorrhaging. So apparently okay. there was a woman, you know, had given birth and wouldn't stop hemorrhaging, and he performed the first blood transfusion. And the remarkable thing about blood transfusion is because I think the first biggest problems they ran into just reading into the history was they couldn't figure out, well, it's blood. Why is it, you know, it wouldn't work for some people. There were a few people that died. And then that's when they figured out, oh, there's different types of blood. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't, they discovered that in 1900. And that's when we started getting the blood groups A, B, and O. But, you know, even further research, I mean, now we have what, O positive, O negative, A positive, yada, yada, yada. But it's that trial and error that they had to go through to eventually get to where we are today. And now, if you think about it, blood transfusions are so almost commonplace. I mean, we have blood drives. We have mobile blood drive units. I don't know if you guys have those there. Yes, Often yeah. we have hospitals, yeah, they'll drive up those buses and say, hey, today is blood drive. You know, come and give blood. And they're always asking for blood. Um. But then I start to think, you know, what what could the future look like with blood transfusions? But I really don't think, I don't think there's really much technological advancement you can do with blood transfusion. No, I mean, because we're doing, like I said, we're doing it now, but also you can now do plasma, can't you? So they, they can yeah. do plasma uh, extraction and transfusions. So, yeah, and, and, and just going back to that, I mean, Maybe I sometimes think, you know, because I said, wow, you know, when we're saying, because 1828, obviously, is, it was such a long time ago. And, 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 you know, maybe we like to think, or I like to think that all the advances are happening now. We are the most knowledgeable we are now. But right. you know, those were the times where, where they were making the big, scary advances, right? These were the... Being we first? It. Yeah, being first? That's always yeah. a huge accomplishment. <laughs> So. Especially without some of the things we'll probably talk about later on, equipment-wise and tech-wise, that we have nowadays. 
Right, because if you think now when something's that commonplace and we think, yeah, we're so smart, we got it down to a science. Well, it took time to build to this point. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a time when people would almost or, or people did die from blood transfusions because they didn't really understand it at the time. So, but look at us now. And even the thing you, like you brought up about the blood types, it's amazing because you just think, right, we're all humans, so blood is blood, right? But no, even even to that degree where we've got the varying types, so it's not a simple case of, okay, let's get person A and give their blood to person B. And to be truthful, I don't even know what the types mean. I don't even know what no. makes them different. I have no clue. Well, all I know is there's one. I can't remember which one it is. I think you can give to anyone, if, if that's right. I think one of them can go to anyone. But otherwise, you have to have a specific o type. or something like I think that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we went through that during the transplant journey was, okay. you know, they talked about the blood and blah, blah, And then you talked about plasma. I don't understand this either because it's the same buses that pull up and they'll say, okay, well, we need plasma. And they hook you up. It looks the same to me. I'm like, well, what's the, <laughs> I'm just giving blood. What are you talking about plasma? <laughs> so I don't, I don't claim to understand that either. I'll be honest with you. The only reason I knew about it was they were doing when COVID started here, they were asking for, I think they're after plasma donators for people who had had COVID. I, I wonder if it was going to be using research because at the time they were just trying to get as much evidence uh, as they could. But yeah, if we're going to go along the the whole kind of like automobile comparison, I guess blood transfusion, like the oil change, right? I guess it's that, right. is that, is that what we're saying. Yeah. Give me some WD-40 or some <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> but, you know, we were talking about the procedures at the time i um came back to mind i can't remember now when it was it may have been a couple of years ago but we went to london and we went to me and my wife went to visit the oldest surgery uh, or one of the oldest surgeries that you can actually visit now and it's um i think it was first used in 1860 and you look at it and you see how small it was you see how open it was it was wooden you look at the books where they have the actual manuals of how they were doing certain procedures and yeah i just think this is one thing i don't, just don't want to imagine what it was like at that time because it, it must have been brutal as well right oh, everything was amputation and, and cauterizing which amazingly they still cauterized to, to this day yeah yeah but not like it was back then though <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, one of the things I was going to do, I, I kind of took it off my list. Anesthetic anesthesia is obviously a massive boon because without that, you know, we'd be still going, buy it on this leather strap, please, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> drink drink some whiskey, drink yeah. some whiskey and bite the strap, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I find anesthetic amazing because, you know, I've had a couple of procedures in the last few years. And you're just lying there and they do that classic thing. Well, they used to make you count to 10, didn't they? Either forwards or backwards. But now they're just asking you questions. And I, they must yeah. love their job because they know the minute they're going to knock you out. And they love it. I think they, <laughs> there's a, there's an enjoyment to, to talk to you and then putting you under like that. And um, then when you wake up and, and the whole, how they just can wake you up just like that for it. I, I said, again, the whole medicine and the whole process behind that, the science right. is the word I'm looking for. I think it's amazing as well. And I think it's amazing, too, that how they, speaking of anesthesia and anesthesiologists, how they've developed that over time. So, for example, when my daughter was going back for her surgery, what they do now, what I've learned, especially with big surgeries like that, is they don't just put you to sleep. They first offer you something called, I don't really care, medicine. So they give you the shot, yeah. makes you a little loopy. Yeah. And it's like, you just relax more because uh, the way it was explained to me was they discovered with anesthesia that sometimes people get too nervous knowing that they're going to be put under, you know, they're nervous enough as it is with the, yeah. with the procedure. Yeah. And that can have an adverse effect on the procedure itself. So they discovered we needed to make people relax first and then knock them out. To give you a little sedation first yeah. and then and then yeah. Not, yeah yeah like i said i think it's amazing and then i tend to veer between when i've i've woken up either um just being really tired and and, and not grumpy but just really tired and, and monosyllabic to to kind of just won't stop giggling and laughing with the nurse that's right. that's waking me up so, yeah. i also 
that, that's part of my theory of time travel too but we'll, we'll talk about that another day oh there you go <laughs> got your next episode that actually yeah i've been thinking about time travel a lot recently we won't go into that okay so so where do you want to kind of want to steer the conversation now <laughs> So the next thing I looked at was because I don't know why this suddenly has been on my mind lately, only because I was just wondering whatever became of this, because it used to be this uh, really, really big deal. The f like open heart surgery and artificial hearts. So okay, I yeah. first looked into open heart surgery um, and the first open heart surgery uh, was performed uh, by a black surgeon named Dr. Daniel Hale Williams. Um, he performed the first surgery back in 1893. It was interesting because his story was, it wasn't really that that's what he set out to do. He set out to say he wanted to establish, because you got to remember the time period and how America was back then. He wanted to establish uh, a hospital mainly for black people and that could train black nurses. You know, he felt, you know, the training that they were getting was subpar because, you know, because of racism, they were just kind of shoved to the side. So he managed to convince uh, Chicago that, yeah, we're going to build this hospital. And then short sometime after that, there was someone who ended up having, um, I will, I'll have to read through this. I'm sorry. I'm trying to trying to keep the flow. So, so one summer night, a young Chicagoan named James Cornish was stabbed in the chest and rushed to Provident, which was the hospital that he established, that the doctor established. So when he started, when the patient started going into shock, the doctor suspected a deeper wound near the heart. He asked six doctors to observe while he operated. And he was the first one to cut that deep, open the body cap, the rib cage and everything to get to the heart to perform the first open heart surgery, which is incredibly wild. Again, think about that time back then. Even, the, you know, we were talking about being first. Here's the thing that would freak me out. I don't know, have you ever worked on cars? No, not personally. <laughs> Or have you ever worked on anything where it was already put together and you're like, I oh, know yeah, what I need yeah. to fix and you start taking yeah. it apart. And then it's like, yeah, oh crap, yeah. I have to remember how to put all this stuff back. <laughs> Imagine doing that to a person. I got to put all this stuff back. <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine how, again, uh, and I use the word, I don't mean to use it lightly, but how brutal that must have been, uh, oh you know, gosh. again, with the tool and, and fair play, because again, what did you say? 1890? 1893. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, the time of that. Um, so, you know, it's honestly, we, yeah, we are just refining rather than anything. You know, we, the, the, the pioneers back at that time in terms of, the, you know, blazing the trail in, in, in these processes, we do just as standard now. But can you imagine the, the people around him when he was telling this is what i'm gonna do this is what we need to do imagine the reaction <laughs> yeah yeah are you crazy man <laughs> yeah it's just because obviously you know you've got to get through the ribs haven't you it's got to be quite quite a traumatic procedure. I, I i do have a somewhat traumatic story to share about that i have a uh well i had an uncle a frenchman actually up in canada he he's passed away since, but he had, I think a total of five open heart surgeries. The first one he had, and I was, I was kind of, I was really young when this, he had the first one by the second one. I think it was, he, he was telling us what it was like. He was like, yeah, they break your ribs. Basically yeah. they have yeah. to, they break yeah. your ribs, yeah. open you up, do what they got to do. And then they mend you back up. It's like, yeah, oh yeah. my gosh. Just metal wire, I think, this is it pull them back together. I mean, <sighs> my I, mum, she had, oh, it's about 23 years ago now, I think she had a triple bypass as well. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they, they, they have to get in there, don't they? <laughs> I'm like, do they just pop the bones or? 
they, they they must just yeah, they must just saw through them. And I think it's because I know, if I remember right, it's metal wiring to kind of maybe mm. call them together to get them to fuse together again. Because bones will kind of heal, won't they? It's- yeah. Well, now we're at the point today, there are nearly 900,000 open heart surgeries performed each year. Nearly a million every year. Yeah. So you imagine the first guy, and then now it's, again, pretty much commonplace. Well, that's it. And if if it wasn't for him, you know, these million people a year. Yeah. Yeah, would be suffering. <laughs> and, and I wonder if you could go back and say to him, look, what you're doing is going to be done up and down the country in little rooms, in big rooms with with tech going to be done just like that and people will be recovered in in however many weeks and i think the the other six doctors around him were would be like no shh, 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 don't say that yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> this guy's crazy well, the patient's not going to make it the difference be we're going to do it with anesthetic nowadays that's, that's <laughs> oh my gosh now oh. where i do think this is going um you know, we talked about robots the last time I was on. Yes, and yes, I we was did. telling you about uh, because there's, you know, there's a lot of robotic ex- uh, assisted surgeries, yeah. and I think we're going to see uh, more and more of that with more sophisticated precision instruments. And yes, yeah. a lot of it will be powered and assisted by AI. I know everybody thinks that's the scary thing nowadays, but no, it's not. Um, but and of course, there's going to be humans involved as well. But I think, you know, further down the line, you know, specifically with open heart surgery, I think we're going to see more and more technological advances with robotics and uh, computing power to assist. Uh, mainly, I think the two advantages there are the speed at which the surgery can be completed, as well as the sterility, you know, the more sterile you have of an environment yeah. for a surgery, the better. So, and let's face it, humans, we're disgusting. And the more people you have in a room during an open heart surgery. <laughs> so if you can have a nice, clean, sterile environment, more that's even better. So, Well, we're kind of already seeing the whole remote surgery, aren't we? Where yeah. a surgeon is, is controlling a robotic arm elsewhere. And what that also does is... What that means is you can put these, if you can get these bits of equipment into remote parts of the world, you don't then need to have surgery set up, theatres. You, right? you just need, you, you don't need to fly out because, you know, before you've had to fly out specialists all, all around the world. That, that specialist doesn't have to leave his his own theatre. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got good broadband providers, but, you know, it's... You've got to have super high speed. <laughs> yeah. The whole remote thing is amazing. But, um, yeah, because I've got a couple of things as well in and around that. But I, I just wanted to raise one more thing about what I think, again, is amazing now. And when you look back at it, that the history, again, is in the 1800s. It's the whole imaging. So, you know, nowadays we get x-rays, ultrasounds, uh, CT scans, MRIs, we, we can get them. I, I had one a couple of weeks ago on my ankle. I went and saw the consultant on a Monday. Saturday, I had the MRI. And the the hospital where I do it is not these big rooms with, uh, what do they call it, the radiography rooms. This is on the back of a truck trailer. It's, it's a mobile <laughs> one that goes around various hospitals in the country. And this is, yeah, you right. go out, you, you go out the hospital, up the steps into the trailer and, and they've got an MRI scan in there. And, you know, if you think about what that's done for being able to diagnose, potentially save unnecessary surgery or to find surgery where it may not have been immediately visible, the fact that we can now get 3D images of our organs in our body, I, I just think that has that has got to be along with kind of anesthetic anesthesia and just general processes one of the the, the biggest advances. I mean, like I said, we, we I guess we've all had one of those types of of, of imaging uh, processes done to us, right? Yeah, um, and radiology is fascinating in and of itself. I worked for a group of radiologists a few years back, um, and just those those MRI machines and the, they're magnets. They're just giant magnets. And don't, I don't know how it all works, but I know there's these giant magnets. And just the thought of that, again, 
these people who are smart enough to figure this out, like, how do you glean an image out of this? And to listen to radiologists read images, oh my gosh. And there are transcriptionists involved. And because those guys, I don't know if you ever heard that or seen how they read your images. And they're just talking to go, da, 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 the patient has a, da, 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 da. and they're talking to the little recorder and then they hand it off to a transcriptionist who documents it all. It's just incredible to watch them work. Now, there's, again, I keep bringing it back. There's also uh, a push, and actually it's already there. There's AI being used for that sort of thing because now there are some things that AI can detect that a doctor, a radiologist may miss. So, yeah, so that's the subject of imaging, which was, yeah, the other thing that I thought I just had to mention in this. Yeah, it's incredible. Again, and we keep using that. I keep using that word incredible because yeah. I, I swear, uh, I think of all the sciences, medical science is perhaps, well, for, for one, it has the greatest impact on everyone. And for two, it's just incredible to think about the kinds of things that, you know, these people come up with to solve problems. So, which brings me to the next thing that I remember, you know, I was talking about, I started thinking about uh, heart, um, open heart surgery, if I could talk. But what really made me think about it was I started thinking, now I, I can't remember how old you are, Dan, but I do remember back in, I believe it was 1987, where there was just this huge chatter about, do you remember the Jarvik 7? Not by name. Not by name. So what that was, was the first successful artificial heart. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, Robert Jarvik who created the Jarvik 7. Now, it's important to remember because I remember when the, it, it was huge in the media. It made, you know, worldwide media, artificial heart, artificial heart. But I was reading uh, this, some of the history about it. And even he, Dr. Jarvik himself said, well, you know, the first person he performed it on, he was like, I don't think he's going to make it past 10 days. He's like, that's not, you know, this isn't really a replacement heart because of course that's how it was billed in the media. Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. all going to, we can, you know, we're all saved. We can just all have artificial hearts. Again, it's kind of like dialysis. It was created as a stopgap measure yes, yeah. to give people with heart disease more time before they get a living donor. Um, and he went on to say one thing that disappointed him about the whole experience, again, of course, with the media. I mean, this was, it really was a major medical breakthrough. However, he said it disappointed him that the media ran with the story the way they did. And when they realized the truth of what it was really for, all they could do was start pointing out all the things that went wrong. Even though he had said from the beginning, this is not a heart replacement. This is just a stopgap measure. Yeah. It's, um, I'm just thinking also what happened to Jarvik 1 through 6, but maybe I should ask that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jarvik 1 caught fire. Uh, Jarvik 2. <laughs> but, but yeah, yes, it is, it is unfair. And it must be really frustrating because, like you said, he never claimed it to be anything other than what he he, he said it. But it's the media and everyone else putting all that hype around it. And even, you know, back then I was still in high school and I remember going, wow, they can make artificial hearts. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you yeah. see the thing, it's like, well, that doesn't really look like a heart. Well, the point was, was well, not really a heart. <laughs> it's just enough. Like you said, yeah, yeah. The stop cap. And I, and, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I misspoke. It was 1982 when the first one, he, yeah. Again. Yeah. Still sort of quite, quite early on. In terms of, you know, if we if we look at the tech that's come since, have you followed up in terms of creating organs now? Are we at a place where that's that's a thing or we're doing a bit more of it? I mean, because, you know, I do remember there's that image of, we, we've all seen that image of that mouse where they've it had the ear on the back of it, where they're, they're you know, well, growing the ear. 
It's funny you say that <laughs> because I was going to say uh, where we are right now with the artificial heart, you know, sadly, a lot of research and development kind of fell off with it because, again, the way it was misreported, but they still use them to this day. There's different ones and they still use them. But so my speculation for the future is that I think that they can revisit this and make them better. And I, and I think that one thing that will help it is what you just mentioned. If they can start, you know, getting a better grasp on basically lab grown flesh. And if they can find a way to meld it with the artificial heart, so you can have a more quote unquote fleshy artificial heart. I think there's a future there. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, we're saying and we'll probably say that tech is going to be everything and tech is going to be at the heart of everything. But the other biggest thing it would be, yeah, if you could clone organs or, or sorry, not clone, maybe that gives it's, the wrong it's impression. Lab, lab grown. Lab grown. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lab grown organs would, if you think that, well, you'll know yourself and you've already alluded, not alluded, you've mentioned it, is that it's the wait for a viable organ, which is is the most difficult thing, right? And the yeah. time-consuming thing. So yeah, yeah, if we can eliminate that stress out of what, what people are already going through, that would be a, an absolutely fundamental breakthrough, wouldn't it? And speaking of that, have you heard about the lab-grown chicken? I'm not sure I have, no. <laughs> well, it's becoming... Oh, as in lab-grown meat, so as yeah. in... Yeah, 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 okay, I think I have, yeah, yeah. It's becoming quite a big deal here um, because they, and I, it's, uh, ironically, I just heard this this morning on the news that they've approved, um, however that approval process goes, to allow them to continue to ramp up. And it, on the one hand, I do agree with them because one of the, I've heard one of the, one of the major negative impacts to the environment is actually industrial farming um, and raising animals and livestock has a huge impact. So if we can eliminate that and say, well, we just make all of, our, <laughs> we make all of our meat <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. here in this factory now. And of course, in the beautiful state of California, the largest uh, group that's doing this right now, they're running a facility that is, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look this up or we can ask K and J because, you know, if they, if who, who, who better to ask than some Californians themselves? Um, they, this facility runs, I think it's completely solar powered maybe, or it's something about it. So they run off all clean energy and they can make, they were talking this morning. They said they can make more chicken faster than your average chicken farm factory or whatever you want to call them and yeah, cleaner and, yeah, I, yeah and i was gonna say and chicken farming is notoriously or, or historically in a lot of places very bad isn't it in terms oh, of yeah. how it's farmed so but yeah that's a whole other a uh, whole other episode there <laughs> lab grown organs that'll be a, a huge breakthrough yeah could you imagine if they could lab grow a full heart how incredible would that be? Yeah, I mean, and they can extract your DNA and your blood to build this. So your to your body, it would just beat your heart again. So you wouldn't have to worry about organ rejection. So, I mean, just a, a, this will be a side note, but in terms of organ donation in the states, I'm, I'm assuming it's still. Is it voluntary or you have to opt in? Because here they changed it recently. I th I think you have to opt out of it now. Oh, so you're automatically a donor and you have to opt out. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I, I think it only know, changed recently. I, I think I heard that before. And I thought, really? I I didn't. And now that you're saying it. So can you confirm, Dan? Yeah, tw <laughs> 20th of May 2020, the law around organ donation in England was changed to allow more people to save lives. Uh, the law has changed. It will be considered that you agree to become an organ donor when you die. If you are over 18, you have not opted out and you're not in an excluded group. So, yes, yeah, so and now you, you actively have to opt out of being a donor. 
Oh, well, <laughs> so, yeah, I can, I can, I can see both sides of that coin. Um, so here it's still, yeah, you have to opt in and, but they made it as easy as when you go to renew your driver's license, they say, you want to be an organ, an organ donor? Yeah, sure. I always say yes, because my, my thing is when I'm, I'm dead anyway, what, what am I? Point, yeah. <laughs> and I've always said, you know, I'm not laughing like that, but I always say, if anyone can find anything of use in my body when I've gone, then, then fair play to them because, you know, the, all the ailments and stuff so, that I've had. Well, so, uh, yeah. I, I've, I've said that too, but I've heard that ironically, eh, that doesn't really matter. You may, you may be suffering right now, but when you die, you got some valuable stuff in you, buddy. Yeah, well, yeah. So there you go. If you're in England and uh, you didn't realize yet, yeah, you now have to opt out. Otherwise, you're it's the chopping block for you. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the biggest problems why that law would never fly here is because of um, th there's a lot of civil rights um, mm. groups that would say uh, absolutely not, uh, because you know there's there's people who for religious reasons they will not ever donate organs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I even when I was in elementary school, I lost a friend. She was in a simple car accident. And I mean, we were, we were like, in, we were like 10 or 11 years old and she ended up dying because her family refused to let them give her blood. Such a shame. For, because of religious beliefs. So. I'm kind of surprised they did do that here. Yeah. The, the only thing I had left on my list, which is possibly going to meld into what's, or what we think it might come in the future is, um, it's a whole thing now about wearable, wearable tech, sorry. And, and by that, I, mean, I know it's fairly simplistic, but we've all, you know, our smart, our smartphones now register our steps. We've got, we can wear blood monitors. We've got, even now, I think there are wearable diabetes, like blood sugar monitors. I think so it saves you how oh, to yeah. do the older finger prick. You ever see that little circle on some, if you ever see a little white plastic circle on someone's shoulder, that's what that is. Yeah, again, amazing. You know, there's the fact that this yeah. things is measuring blood sugar. Um, you know, even to to kind of the tech we're now having more and more in the house. So a lot of people I know here have got the blood pressure monitors at home. Um, I was saying to you beforehand that COVID saw a boom in the the oxygen monitors. You know, the the, the thing you slip over the end of a finger. So so yeah, I just wonder if there's more and more at home on the person diagnosis kit. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, the biggest thing, um, it's, it's your smartwatches. So for example, I wear the, the Google pixel watch. Um, it does the same thing. It does the CO2 measuring the, the blood oxygen saturation. Uh, Apple was famously known for perfecting that with the, uh, Apple watch. So yeah, you're right. Wearables, now, there was a time, I think it was about three or four years ago, when a lot of technologists were saying, well, the future is is wearables. You know, everyone's worried about these assistants and AI and, wow. and new cell phones. Because let's be honest, I don't think, I think we've reached pretty much the plateau for cell phones. Um, yes. I think yeah, we reached yeah. it years ago. And that's why yeah. they keep pouring so much into the camera on the phone. It's like, because you can't really get past this blank rectangular glass front slate. This is about the end of it, right? So they had, you know, so technology is like, well, what do we need to do next? Well, like you mentioned, health, being able to, to capture our own um, current health status through these devices, it's become a vital thing. I mean, you can, you can even send all of that information to your doctor to yeah, read for yeah. you. Uh, well, I've actually got, you know, sorry, I've, I've got um, with my employment, I've got private healthcare and, you know, here it is notoriously difficult to get a GP appointment, but with the, you know, this, they've got an app, I can get a, an appointment that night or the next morning with uh, a, a, a GP online. It was a video call. I got my referral letter for my ankle within half an hour after the call. And then I saw, you know, then the whole thing about going to see the consultant and getting the MRI. So, you know, the, the medical world coming into your own home, 
feels like it's really that's yeah like i said that's the galloping pace now so what more will we be able to start doing can will we be able to flash a uh, a device at our by our leg and get a, an x-ray from you know a bit, <laughs> an image from now as soon as we can figure out how to make radiation safe yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean you, you even like um the little home devices that we have, for example, you know, I have the little Google Home Hub, and um, there's also uh, what's what's the Apple called Home, not Home Basics. Anyway, those devices, and I think Amazon is going to put it in the Echo, even though I keep hearing the Echo is on the chopping block for death. But what I was going to say is, you know, sleep is valuable. So now they've made these devices to where they monitor your sleep while you're sleeping and they can tell you about your sleep quality and you don't even have to put it on. It sounds a little creepy, but it essentially watches you sleep and it can calculate your sleep patterns through your breathing and it can hear, you know, snoring is a, apparently a sign of a health problem. You know, you have people who have to have those CPAP machines, which even those are evolving too. Um, so yeah, the home healthcare, I think that's going to continue to accelerate. Now, the only problem is um, people, privacy advocates who will say, no, that's too much. You're, you're going way too far. I mean, I'm putting Google in my house. I'm putting Apple in my house and let them listen to me breathe and sleep. What else are they listening to? And I keep telling those people, I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> They already know. <laughs> Aren't we looking at, you know, right now we've got, again, here, like I said, because it's difficult to to get a GP appointment, you're getting people turn up at hospitals and A&E departments with a common cold because they want to see someone. So now, are, you know, are we not saying that potentially we could be saying, right, instead of coming to to us when you think there's something wrong with you, you're, you're now actually being empowered because we'll know if there is something wrong with you, we'll let you know if you need to come in to see a GP because the tech in your house is going to be monitoring you and, and letting you know, yeah, you should probably think about going, making a, or, or popping down to your local accident and emergency or, or, or something like right. that. We'll be saving time. What was the, uh, the little animated movie about the medical robot? He was like a big puffy white. It, it's really funny movie. Yeah. And it was it was basically about this kid who ended up he this nanotech it was a fight over nanotechnology but his brother had created this robot that basically was with you all the time and it can tell you what's going on with you and he became a little annoying after a while but it was really funny I can't remember the name of the movie but I could just looking at that I can envision a future where we would have something similar to that. Maybe it would be like a booth that's in your home and you just step into it daily and it just checks you out and says, okay, yeah, your blood pressure's fine. Hey, your temperature's a little elevated uh, or, you know, or whatever. Uh, do a quick scan, like you said, maybe an X-ray, a CT and send all that information off to a medical professional. And they say, yeah, okay, you look great today. But again, the problem is a lot of people freak out about that kind of stuff. They say that's, you know, that's giving away too much of my private information. I don't want that in my house. But on the flip side, people also complain about what you just talked about, going to to see your primary or going to the hospital, and then you got to wait, and the wait's too long. Well, use the technology, and you don't yeah. have to go through all that. And, and if you've had to wait a couple of months for a scan, then the scan tells you, no, you're absolutely fine. Well, you could have done that in five minutes in, in your own home right. and saved all that stress. The whole privacy thing, I'd rather know if I need medical assistance or not. And like you said, all these companies, any time you fill the form out, they've got all your details. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I really have to... <laughs> I remember my father used to say, uh, because we used to get on him for throwing things away, you know, certain papers. And we're like, dad, you got to be careful doing that because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he said, well, you know, if anybody wanted to find me, especially anyone in government, they already know where I am. Yeah. Yeah. And his point was, for example, did I make that address that's on my house? I didn't make that number up. I didn't name the street. Who did, where did that come from? The, and, the government. And if, they, 
if they want to monitor my blood pressure for me, fair play to them. Then at least fair someone play. will be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... And I had to, I had to Google real quick. The movie I was talking about was Big Hero 6. So That's you... it. Yeah, I knew the one you're talking about, but I couldn't remember it either. Um, What's well, such I, an I, odd I, name anyway? <laughs> I want to wrap up in about 50 minutes or so because I want to give you opportunity again just because I know you've got some things that you can you can tell the listeners about. But we're talking about futuristic things and you've mentioned AI and robotics. So what, what do you think the next, or what do you think the next advances or, or use of, of tech is going to be in the medical world? I think it's going to be, now there was this huge story about a paralyzed man who was able to walk again uh, because they put these implants in his brain and then they hooked him up to some mechanical devices that assisted him with walking. Now, I think most people, myself included, I kind of don't like the idea of that because it's like, I don't want implants in my brain. There's just something about the brain, you know, that's too. So I would like to think that maybe, hopefully, in the future, they can develop something that, you know, it's external and they can just, you know, they can already attach cathodes to you and get certain yeah. readings. Now, if they could get to the point where they can use those same things, maybe even make it like a cool hat, like <laughs> you can have a cool baseball cap on or, a, you know, a fedora and it's got all the little sensors in there. And then if you're paralyzed, you just get into your, uh, your machine. It, it just reads through the hat. And you just walk that way. I think that kind of medical technology, the, when, when they, the development of being able to capture brain signals and interpret them the way that our brain already um, makes us walk or move our hands. Because, you know, those are things we do. We just don't even think about it. But exactly. we are actually thinking about it. So there's, there's those signals that they can capture those without implants. I think that would be, I think that's something that uh, may be coming. I think it, I think it, it's possible. I get what you mean about the implant. And I'm wondering if that is, like you said, that's kind of like the stopgap. That is the interim period to, to understand it. Because like you said, we are just electrical pulses and synapses, right? And it's about interpreting that, capturing that and interpreting that and manipulating those. So yeah, I guess the initial stage is how do we capture that and put those into a stimulus onto the brain to to kind of kickstart the walking again it's it's going to be a fascinating area because um hasn't like everyone's favorite tech entrepreneur recently i think didn't he announce something mr <sighs> elon it's bad it's yeah. bad <laughs> I mean, we don't need to necessarily go into it but it's it, bad it, it does <laughs> stay away like from it folks <laughs> yeah um yes actually and on that moving on then um so i i i do think it's something that's probably already happening now but is or, or is something that could be done more is it's a whole ar and virtual reality side of things i wonder if that's going to become even bigger or, or i don't know how much it is now so for example i was i was kind of looking into it and this article i saw said that ultimately alternate reality could be used by surgeons for projecting potentially life-saving information into their eyesight during operations and br could be used in psychiatry to treat phobias efficiently and mixed reality would be able to bring revolutionary novelties to medical education or preoperative surgical planning so i'm wondering if we might see something more in that world in terms of both educating the next generation of of surgeons or or physicians or or even like I said assisting real time within you know can you imagine if you've got i don't know is it um google glass or a hololens or whatever when you're doing a surgery and it's saying to you yeah no you, you might want to move the scalp wherever so slightly to the left or i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned google glass and that whole sentence because i was just about to say what you talked about was exactly what Google was attempting to do with Glass. So a lot of people criticized Google for Glass, and I was one of them, mainly because I was upset because to get a Google Glass, you had to sign up and they had to accept you. So it was like they made this big announcement, but then you couldn't even buy it. And even when you got accepted, you still had to buy it and it was expensive. But one of the biggest things that they were, uh, the biggest groups that they pushed it to was surgeons. And that's exactly what they were doing. Google 
everyone has, if people don't realize by now, Google is a data company. What they were doing with Glass was they were collecting data. And a lot of that data was medical data. And they've captured it. And then, yeah, they could they can turn around and, like you mentioned, they can provide the same data to up-and-coming surgeons or a surgeon who may not be as familiar with a particular procedure. He can pull this information up that was captured by other surgeons using Google Glass. As far as, I think, what, what you said about VR and AR, I do believe that that's the best application overall for that stuff. I honestly, you know, there's a big clamor about Apple's new Vision Pro. I honestly think that the average person does not want to wear those things. We've been here before. This isn't, this isn't new. It's just that Apple has thrown all of their pretty glossy tech in it. But, and it's great. But overall, I don't think the average person wants, wants that experience. People don't really like that. It's cool to look at when you go to a shopping mall and you put it on. You go, oh, yeah, wow, this yeah. is amazing, blah, blah, blah. But do you really want to watch a movie like that? I don't. What's this thing that? on we, their we've face? Men <laughs> we've mentioned it on here, the 3D glass, the 3D face in the homes. That, that lasted all of, what, five minutes, right? So. Right, because it's annoying. It's, yeah, no one wants it. But if you put it in the hands of, like you said, surgeons, who this is part of um, what they do, and they can get this information in real time and it could, you know, project realistic images onto the person they're working with. That's, that's an absolute winner as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you, you could even have somebody operating in a part of the world and what, you know, maybe isn't as skilled. So you've got somebody in another part of the world with the same headset of VR and they are then almost seeing it like they are operating so it could give. Right. instructions i mean you know that this this feels to me yeah everybody you know says about this kind of google etc but if this is a tech that's going to save their lives in 10 years time then they're going to say bring it on right so absolutely right i do i I, I, yeah. I welcome it and i think they should continue to develop it i think it's a great idea but as a consumer product i don't think it's i no it's not really viable i mean yeah it's fun. And then I think that's why uh, Facebook or Meta, that's why they're smart for just making the Oculus what it is. I mean, it's, it's good for gaming. It's fun yes. stuff. It's fun gaming entertainment, but it's not, you're not going to use that daily in an office. Come on. <laughs> right. Um, right. I think we've got time. Is there one more thing that you think we're potentially looking at i mean i has i didn't look too deep into it the whole thing around precision precision or personalized medicine where it's tailored to your physical makeup and genetic makeup i mean that's probably starting to to go down a, an avenue as well i don't think well i think the problem with that is that's you get to a point where you're too specialized where you can't sustain that because it has to be something that everyone can use um, how do you sustain saying, okay, this is tailored just for you. So then you got to tailor it also for how many people are in the world now? So how do you, how do you sustain a model like that where you say, well, I, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it or underthinking it. <laughs> All right. And anything else from, from me? Yeah, well, the only other thing I did have was the, um, I've always thought this was amazing. The cochlear implants that help people hear. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have really much else to say about that. And then I just think it's amazing because when you see videos of like these little kids who are deaf and then they get yeah. those implants and then the look on their faces when they hear for the first time, like they hear their mom talking for the first time. It's amazing. And again, who ever thought of that? And I, Sorry, I didn't pull up the history of that, but that's just incredible. Now, can you imagine now? Remember, I was talking about the brain implants. Imagine yeah. in the future if they can make the cochlear work without the implant. Now, it only goes within your ear, so it's not attached to your brain or anything. But I guess I overall, what I'm trying to say is when they can have these types of devices work without actually having to cut you open, 
to make them work, I think that's that's going to be genius. Yeah, that'll be another huge step because like I said, you know, we've gone from the brutal 1800 type surgeries to the right. current one where, you know, we, we've got it good compared to that. But yeah, there is, there, there's a way to go where the less invasive you can make things. I mean, exactly. you know, sort of touch wood, I've, I've been fairly fortunate in my life. I mean, the most I've had is I had my gallbladder removed 10 years ago, something like that. But that was done keyhole surgery. So, you know, it's not even that bad, you know, the whole keyhole surgery thing. Um, but but the, I, I guess a couple of things I want to take from this conversation, and again, thank you, is, yeah, about the things we take for granted. But also, you you, you know, something you said a little while ago, and I, I wanted to pick up on it, but I thought, no, I'll bring it up at the end, as long as I remember, which amazingly I have, is, um, you know, you said... You keep saying the word incredible. And I think at one point you almost said, like, apologized for using that word. And I think right. the fact that we can still find the things incredible is amazing. And 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 I think, you know, that's something that we should take heart in. The fact that there there is still stuff that because this is all stuff that's that's helping us, right? So yeah, I think I think it's a fantastic thing to to still be astounded or amazed by these things. And I and I hope people continue to agree with you because it can only get better as younger generations come up and are still amazed by it all as well. And on top of that, think, yeah, this is amazing, but you know what? I have figured out another way to do it, you know, a better yeah. way to do it. Yeah. That's how things yeah. progress and get better and better. So. Right. Well, well, look, thank you very much. And again, you know, honest, honestly, thank you for sharing your, your story at the start. Is there anything you want to shout out or plug before we say goodbye? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on again, Dan. And I, I'll come back anytime. You know how to get a hold of me. Um, and I, I have no problem sharing that story about my daughter because, like I've said over and over again, it's simply incredible, miraculous to me the just the complete turnaround in her health. Um, and I could talk about it all day, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> the only other thing I want to plug, um, you know, to keep myself busy creatively, I've I've always worked on music. It's just always been a thing. You know, I've made music for a couple podcasts as well. Uh, then I just recently, recent, recently, what? <laughs> I, my brain's getting ahead of itself. I recently decided I'm going to compile some music that I've actually had kind of just laying around over the years and then fuse it with some new ideas I have. Um, and I've released this album. It's called um, Intentionally. You can find it on Spotify. It's under the the name Profound Simplicity and the album is named Intentionally. You can find it there. You can go to YouTube and find it as well. It's just go to Profound Simplicity, youtube.com at Profound Simplicity. It. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah something like it. that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, mainly that's what I've been working on, just being uh, and working with some other friends, you know, that I've worked with over the years just doing creative stuff uh as far as podcasting you know people keep asking about voluntary input and i say the same thing over and over again you never know what the future holds so <laughs> absolutely and in the meantime i would get the enjoyment of getting you on as many times as we can so onto our pods so. i ain't got nothing else to do i <laughs> know oh, i really appreciate that and also the other thing is i know that you had food delivered before just as this started so i know i've kept you from that so yeah i mean i can I mean, spell it still <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna quickly wrap up for me, yep, you can get hold of me at castingviewspod at gmail.com and at castingviews on Twitter. And yeah, we'll see you next time. And I'm already starting the paperwork to get Leo on again, so don't worry about that. I'll, uh, I'll see you next week. If I want your opinion, I will give it to Come on, check what we've got Cause you need it Don't make us get